Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an OU fan podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Peyton Guthrie. Uh, not joining us today is Matt Burden or Alan Kinney. This is a Patreon episode, obviously, because you're listening to it on our Patreon. Uh, and it's an interview series as we've been doing in this offseason. Remember, we do have the softball giveaway, so we can get 23 new subscribers uh, before the end of the World Series of Softball, we'll be giving away a uh, softball that was signed by the OU softball team. Shout out to Davis for uh, getting that uh, taken care of for us. But we do have that. So if you have friends, family, it's just four bucks a month. Really helps us out. Really helps us bring on some interesting people to talk about some interesting topics uh, and keeping the Patreon strong and uh, allows us to have more fun just overall. Uh, so starting off, I want to bring on uh, our interview for the day. We're going to be talking about draft classes, draft capital, and uh, kind of where OU stacks, you know, maybe in the short term and then historically uh, in the playoff era and all time of where also where it needs to go. But bringing on talk about that is uh, C at CFB Nate on Twitter. Uh, you'll see his amazing spreadsheets. Uh, I'm don't know, this doesn't look like an Excel, but uh, <laughs> maybe it is, maybe it's not. Uh, Nate, thank you for joining me. Uh, I guess just generally how you, what, what are you doing? How are you up to? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me first off. And uh, yeah, I'm doing well. So coming to you from uh, the East Coast, Raleigh, North Carolina. Oh, hey, you're on the you're on the Allens out there on the East Coast as well. Yeah, we deal with some East Coasters. Uh, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. I can't think yeah. of anything other than North Carolina than than Ric Flair and uh, old NWA. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I'm originally from Oklahoma, though. So I was, I was born and raised in, in Tulsa area. So I'm from I'm from Jinx, America. Jinx America. Uh, I want to. I want to racially profile you. Do you have some uh, Cherokee in in that bloodline? No, I got that a lot growing up. I'm actually Hispanic, so my parents Hispanic. came from Mexico. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, you know, being in from the Tulsa area and everything like that, uh, I do not look it, but I am a proud member of the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma down here in the southeastern corner of the state uh, in Durant. Uh, that's for Davis to take a shot on that one. Um, uh, but yeah, let's just kind of dive into it. You posted some uh, interesting tables and graphics just about the uh, the top uh, top draft classes of the playoff era. And uh, it really kind of caught my eye seeing just how low down o uh, Oklahoma was. But let's just start off the top of this. I mean, what kind of drove you to, to, to think and try to profile, uh, I'm assuming wanting to profile, what these playoff teams look like 
from an NFL draft perspective for success? Yeah, I mean, I think um, draft is for all those football star people, right? That's like the big thing of, of the springtime yeah. besides spring games and things like that. Um, so just trying to look at drafts a little bit differently and compare compare trends, compare um, historic numbers, and try to get a little bit beyond just counting stats of, wow, they had 10 draft picks versus 12 draft picks a year ago or one, whatever the case may be. Um, so bringing in this idea of draft value, which goes back to like the 90s and Jimmy Johnson and his, mm-hmm. how they helped build all those Super Bowl winning teams for the Cowboys, right? Is they had a chart where they value each draft pick at a certain points. And obviously like the number one pick is worth more than later picks. Uh, so I use a, a, a draft uh, a draft value chart from overthecap.com. Um, it's one of the one of the primary resources a lot of people use it's it's a, a free free widely available um to try to come up with a number that uh, assigns the draft value for each position number one picks worth 3,000 points the number 256 picks worth like less than 200 points right and uh, it uh it fluctuates along a, a nice curve between one and, and the end and so just looking at each draft class and trying to see, well, you had a lot of early round draft picks. That's really impressive too. Uh, how, do, how do we compare classes that maybe had a few early round picks versus later round picks? So that, that's the whole idea behind what, what, uh, what made me want to put these together. Did anything, I mean, obviously I think it's it's going to paint the picture that it's kind of broadly accepted of, hey, we already knew these teams were super talented. Uh, but did anything really stick out to you when you're putting this together? Uh, I mean, just looking in front of it right here, I did not think Iowa, uh, Ohio State, Iowa State would never be on this list, but uh, Ohio State, I didn't, I guess for some reason, I didn't expect them to be uh, at the top decently solidly at that point in time. But did anything stick out to you when you're kind of putting this stuff together? Yeah, I think the big trend to me, just looking at the top 20, 2023 classes, it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, right there in the mm-hmm. top three uh, in that order. It's kind of the three teams that, if you look at college football overall right now, they're the dominant teams, right? Year in and year out, uh, they tend to take turns being number one. And um, But yeah, even Ohio State, who had kind of a disappointing end to their season with their big loss to Michigan and things like, like that, but the way that they've been bringing in top five recruiting classes year after year after year, it keeps leading to them um, uh, putting out these top draft classes, right? They're developing NFL talent. They're bringing in high caliber talent and then they're, they're putting up in, into the NFL as well. So just seeing those three teams over and over again throughout some of these uh, different charts, looking at both 2023, looking at the playoff era, and then looking all the way back to the early 2000s. Uh, I mean, just from basically from an OU perspective, <clears throat> OU's top performing draft class in the playoff era is 2019. You know, the Kyler Murray, Marquise Brown, Cody Ford were the top three headliners that draft, uh, which I would consider to be a very good draft class for the University of Oklahoma. It's getting eight people into the draft at that point in time. It's a pretty good number for uh, for the University of Oklahoma. But at that point in time, if we were to look at that just as a gauge of talent, 
via this draft value. Uh, it is OU's top performing class in the playoff era, but it in itself only ranks 15th overall. Uh, you know, being an OU fan, uh, is that somewhat disheartening to see that thinking, hey, this is one of our, you know, better teams. I mean, obviously the D, it's a, a better one-sided team, a great one-sided team, obviously. Um, it, it, is that kind of disheartening to kind of see that of knowing, hey, we're OU so close, they're scratching, you know, scratching the top of the potential, but still uh, not even cracking the top 10 at that point in time? Right, yeah. And especially if you think of how often OU has made the playoffs, right, during yes. the era compared to some of these other Enjoy great food and drinks at the original Norman Hotspot and its first cocktail bar. Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails is our choice for quality meals and drinks to enjoy the next time you're looking for a great night out. With locations in historic downtown Norman on Main Street and the Paseo Arts District in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma fans from all over the metro can enjoy Scratch Kitchen and Cocktails. Also, be sure to pick up or ask about Scratch's ready-made old-fashioned cocktail at your local wine and spirit store. Take the best Scratch concoction home to sit on your lounge chair and continue listening to this episode scratch kitchen and cocktails great food drinks and atmosphere teams uh to only have one team in the top one come as much of a shock right oh you're recruiting a hair behind those top class those thing in terms of the uh their nfl draft classes right they're just a little bit a hair behind they're really good they're producing solid results on a year in year out basis but in terms of like historically great um they're just a little bit behind do you think that maybe uh, just beyond just a talent acquisition, do you think potentially that could be, because honestly this does lead credence to Lincoln Riley's state, statements of saying, hey, there are four teams in and we are the fourth and talent-wise and usually by you know a country mile to a certain degree. Uh, I think this leads some credence to that. Uh, but do you think that the, maybe a bigger part of that beyond just talent acquisition is talent development and talent, you know, uh, the teaching of the game at that point in time within that regime. Yeah, no, I think that's a big part of it. And especially, especially on the defensive side, right? Like the defensive draft picks over the Lincoln Riley era where um, probably could count them on one hand. (laughs) Um, I think, I think that's the, right. We talk about why Riley left and his maybe thoughts on what he could or couldn't accomplish here. And then you look at what, uh venables is trying to accomplish venables did pull off a a a big a a nice uh recruiting class this year but yeah to your point it's really about development right what do you do with these kids once you get them on campus not every one of these high draft picks or these nfl draft picks was um you know a five-star prospect that plays a big role but yeah what do you do with them once you get them on campus can you uh, once you get them in the weight room and once you're developing them from a scheme standpoint, what can you do with, with the talent? Uh, looking at from a historical standpoint from Oklahoma, uh, you've got 2010, uh, and that's a draft class to keep everyone up to date, the historic one for OU, Sam Bradford one, Gerald McCoy three, Trent Williams four, uh, sitting at uh, 10,703 points of draft value. It's the best performing uh, draft class of OU since 1999, and that would solidly put them at ninth overall in the playoff era. Uh, and that's obviously that's inserting a team that's not in that draft era. If you were to put in some of those early 2000 Miami teams, some of those early 2000, you know, Ohio State teams still, I mean, 
that even may get dumped around and, and bumped down out of the top 20 potentially uh, even then. Uh, do you think OU is currently how they are? I mean, we saw Brent Reynolds bring in a top five, top four, depending on which recruiting cycle you're seeing class. But do you think they are potentially at a extreme uphill disadvantage? Because, uh, if, yeah, if you do it by counting stats, OU finished fifth in recruiting, great. But if you do it in a different way, <laughs> Georgia got 25 stars, OU got two. So it's like there's a difference there. There's a big yeah. gap sometimes in between these rankings. Um, do you think this is a hill that OU can climb over just looking at these numbers from an historical standpoint? Uh, I think it's definitely an uphill climb with the way that Alabama and Georgia and then Ohio State right behind them are concentrating. That, that talent level concentration up at the very top, what they're able to bring in on a year in, year out basis. The gap from like the number one class to the number four class is quite large still, right, right mm-hmm. to your point. So it's definitely an uphill climb, but I, I'd still rather bring in a, a top four class than maybe the eighth or ninth best class of what we've seen a lot of over the past five, 10, 15 years, um, it, it's, you're going to need to be in that top five on a regular basis to compete for a national championship, to compete for even SEC championships when you get to the SEC, right? Because you're going against these talent-laden, um, you can almost call them super teams, right, in terms of what yeah. what they're able to throw on the field. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely an uphill climb. It's going to be uh, – going to be interesting to see how it goes yeah it just seems so wild that you know the team that was the closest for OU uh, uh, 2018 with Baker Mayfield going number one overall the closest you know obviously the historic Rose Bowl with Georgia you know heartbreak city the squib kick I get it but you know that's the one everyone's like that was our chance that was the chance to do it and if you just look at that purely from this this one metric of draft value that class wouldn't even be in the it's nowhere near the top 20 of, you know, talent being out produced of that, those senior classmen or those, you know, NFL potential targets that uh, could have done that at that point in time. Uh, so maybe it's like you get these guys on the field and, you know, Matt, that's where the magic happens at that point in time. It's not, I don't think this is like a, um, an end all be all. Like I can point to this and say, see guys, OU's never winning a national championship because of this. <laughs> right. It's not necessarily true. It's somewhat damning, <laughs> but it's not, uh, the truth, it's not the worst part of it. Because if you look at uh, OU's championship, I'm trying to remember h- how this draft class would work. Uh, yeah, so OU's championship team is the least uh, draft, uh, you know, value, total value on the list in the last 25 years uh, in the history of OU via this uh, draft value stuff. So things can happen in weird ways for these different teams. Uh, but have you had a chance to dig into like, is there like a bare minimum for like national champions for this type of thing that you've kind of seen? Uh, that's a good question. I have not dug into it. It would be. Um, oh, you would, would skew that question. very low. It would be an outlier. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. And the 2000 OU national championship team is definitely an outlier in terms of, of talent and I think that was very much a different era of college football. I don't know that you would ever see anything like that again, where a team came very much out of nowhere with not a lot of top talent by NFL evaluation standards. Uh, I think the one thing that 
the talent levels and the draft class definitely doesn't tell the whole story. I think if you look at like the top class of the playoff era, the 2016 Ohio State uh, team that had uh, nearly 15,000 points of, of draft value that they generated. They had Joey Bosa went number three, Ezekiel Elliott went number four, lots of early guys that went off that team. That team didn't win the national championship. And that, that was a common uh, response when I posted this on Twitter. It was sad Ohio State fans that were sad about such a talented <laughs> team not win, right? The, the team the year before, the 2014 uh, Ohio State team won. The 2015 team came back stacked, and they did not win. So it doesn't it doesn't tell a whole story. But it, man, having a the number two team on here is the LSU 2020 draft class, the 2019 LSU team that uh, all you fans are well familiar with. The Joe Burrow team having a stacked amount of talent definitely helped your cause. Yeah, I mean, it's heating them up immensely over time. The thing is that I like to, the thing is that's interesting to me is that you see a coalescence of recency um, with, with these draft classes. I mean, Ohio State is the kind of the outlier being 2016, but it's 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. I mean, there's like a, a just a bunch of the numbers keep going up, uh, you know, and as the future goes, uh, do you see that as just, this is the nature of recruiting that all talent is continuing to coalesce or be hoarded in these three classes. I mean, in these three programs and it will continue to do so, or is it, I mean, really, if you really look at it in these two programs, I mean, it's Georgia, Alabama, and they're both kind of taking over at this point in time. Yeah. I think, I think kids coming out of high school now, uh, you know, these big recruits, their goal is NFL, right? And so they're watching the recent history just like we are. They see, wow, Alabama, if you look at this, seven teams in the playoff era that hit this make top 20 list more consistent than anybody. Yeah, if my goal is to get to the NFL, I'm going to go play for Nick Saban in Alabama, right? Or I'm going to go play for Kirby Smart in Georgia. Um, you take your pick, but uh, right now, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I'm really curious. I think trends come and go, right, in, in the sport and in most sports. It's not going to be like this forever, but I definitely see that. I don't, I don't see it changing. I don't know what it's going to be that's going to change this, right? Spreads the talent level back out. I don't know if NIL comes into play, um, maybe with some of the conference realignment stuff, but it'll change eventually, but I don't see it changing anytime soon, right? It's going to be Alabama, Georgia, and probably consistently third there, Ohio State. Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I think you're right. I, was, I mean, I guess maybe I was hoping we were starting to see some dark, you know, some outliers kind of popping up, but uh, uh, I, I just don't see it happening that way because it is just a, a level of talent that's being secured um, by this stuff in, and if you're thinking from your, from your mindset of this NFL talent, and that means these teams are putting in, you know, Alabama's putting in 10, 12, 11, you know, Georgia's got 15, you know, 10, you know, it's like they're putting in record numbers every season and you got to, and you're thinking, how's this possible? You can only play so many, you know, you're going to be a background guy. You're going to be a backup guy, but in football, like you said, if, if you're going to go to the NFL and Kirby Smart or Nick Saban's offering you a spot, take it. 
NFL people will find you. You don't have to play every single snap. You can be part of a platoon. Like, you, they, they will find you and get you. This isn't basketball where you know you need to be on the court the entire time. There's there's, there's a difference there um, as teams are building up these super teams or anything of that. Um, but I, I find this stuff super, super interesting, and I wanted to bring you on just for a quick Patreon podcast to talk about it. Uh, guys, just go follow him, C, uh, at CFB Nate. Uh, he's posting out all these really, really cool stuff. Um, and I know you said it's like a side gig thing, but it looks really, really professional. I mean, uh, what what made you want to kind of – I know we kind of talked about it on the side stuff, but like I'm assuming you've been a college football fan kind of all your life. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Going back to the 2000 National Championship team for OU, and um, I think the the day I, I walked on campus as a freshman in 2004 and went to my first OU home game, I was I was hooked for life. Um, so I, I felt like I was I was truly at home that first home game. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, it's just a way to kind of supplement. Um, my understanding, my uh, knowledge of the game, try to challenge myself to look at things in a, a little bit different way and, and share that with people. So I, you know, I've been able to, to make some friends on, on Twitter through this whole thing. And uh, it's just a, a fun way to help me, uh, college, uh, help me follow college football. Well, I appreciate you uh, answering again a random DM. This is how I have to almost do every, every podcast. I appreciate you answering a random DM and saying, yeah, sure, let's jump on here and get it figured out. Um, thank you so much for sharing, uh, some of your afternoon, some of your evening, uh, with me. I know it's a little bit later on your side. Um, I hope things are going well with you and yours. And, uh, I think we've got like thunderstorms, like for a full week straight. So I don't know what the weather's like out there, but I hope you get a little more sunshine than we're about to get hit by. Hey, well, thanks for having me, Peyton. It was a, it was a pleasure. Awesome. So I'll sign this off. I always do. Uh, I think you should know the, uh, what I'm wanting you to do. So, uh, patrons, uh, patrons, thank you guys so much. For myself, Alan, uh, and Matt, and Nate. Boomer! Boomer! There you go. He knows the trick.